So we are continuing to work our way through uh, this New Testament letter um, that we know um, as James. And again, the, the, um, the New Testament is made up of a lot of letters, and, and these letters were written uh, obviously by specific people to specific people. And, and we've seen that James is a little bit different than a lot of the, the New Testament letters in the fact that Paul didn't write James, right? Paul wrote a lot of the letters in the New Testament, um, but James was written, traditionally believed to be written by the brother of Jesus and the apostle James. Again, James writes with a different tone than we see in some of the other letters. And we saw that again as we've looked through um, not just the, the picture that James has of Jesus and of the things he commanded us. Obviously, as a close relative, he saw Jesus in different ways than other people did. But, but also, James writes with a certain tone. Right, a tone that is different than some of the other biblical writers. He, he writes very bluntly, right? very clearly, very practically. James pulls no punches and doesn't water down the truth in his letter. And yet, as we see that, we've, we've also noticed as we worked our way through and we started that he wrote this letter to a very specific group of people, people who um, are committed followers of Jesus. Right? This letter was addressed to to people, again, that are committed to, to Christ, that have already received him as their savior, that have already joined the journey of faith, they have found salvation, and now they are ready to move on to what are the next steps of my faith? How do I continue to grow? Because James is a letter that addresses discipleship and daily growth in our faith. It does not address salvation, right? Jesus never mentions the cross Right, Jesus' uh, death and resurrection because, again, he makes the assumption that the readers of this letter are already saved. So, again, the challenge of this letter, then, is if you are here and you've never received Christ as your Savior, to know that if you try to live up to anything that James tells us to do in this letter without the help of the Holy Spirit living in you that, ha that again, happens when you believe and accept Christ as your Savior, then you will get frustrated and offended and will walk away thinking this is impossible. Because it's hard, it's, it's hard to live out these words even with the power of the Holy Spirit living in us and, and transforming our minds and our hearts. And, and again, we, we can only live into this and grow in our faith by the help of the Holy Spirit. So again, my hope is that you have received Christ as your Savior and that you're ready to hear this message. And, and yet, even if you haven't, I think you will find hope. Right, in hearing what James has to say. Now, as we continue our way through the letter, right, um, as we've seen, James has a very blunt tone. He's, he's really come straight out and told us the truth in a, already a few pretty important areas in our life. And yet, as we work our way through these different sections of the letter, when we get to the section that we're going to study today, which is James chapter 3, verse 13, through chapter 4, verse 10, and that's going to be the text we're covering today, when we get to this section, okay, is um, we realize now that, that James gets even more in our face today. And I, I know you might be thinking what I was thinking when I read through it too. Thinking, really, can James get any more blunt? The answer is yes. Okay, now as we get to that, though, we, we understand the, the tone of this letter, right, and the, the heart that James has behind this. Now, before we jump into the text, and again, I'll invite you to open up to James chapter 3. If you have your own Bible with you, please do that. You can flip it open. We're just going to, we're going to be there. We're going to stay there in this text. 
the entire time today. You can just leave it open. We're going to go back to it a couple times. If you don't have your own Bible or don't have it with you, uh, again, you can grab one of those Bibles that are in the seats that are there. You're welcome to use one of those. You'll see on the outline of the page numbers are where you can find these, this passage in those Bibles. So definitely you can open up to James chapter 3. But before we jump into this section, I will say, right, is that this section, like I said, is, is takes us even a step further than James has already taken us. Now imagine that, that this isn't a letter. Imagine that we're in a face-to-face meeting with James. Okay, we've come into this meeting not really knowing exactly why he wants to meet with us or what his intention is. Now, by this point in the meeting, if we were, again, meeting with James and he was taking us through the content of this letter, imagine at this point on this one-on-one meeting with James, you know exactly what his intention is. Right? He's already told us enough. He's been clear enough and blunt enough that he's given us enough truth. But by this point, we are, are either going to be mad and offended at James Right? Or we're going to respond in a different way. Again, if we, if we respond to be mad and offended, right, this, this would be the point at the meeting, right? If, if we're saying, James, I don't want to hear what you have to say. I understand why we're here. Okay, you're calling me out. Hey, and, and I don't like that. I'm going to be mad and offended. This is the point where we're going to turn up our nose. Where we're going to say something mean or derogatory towards James and storm out of the meeting. Okay, and that is one of the ways we can respond to James, James's challenges. Again, we can take on the attitude of how dare you, James, call me out like that, because he's already done it. Or, right, we can go the different way. We can, we can choose that at this point in the meeting is when we realize that why James is doing what he's doing. Right? They, they, is he calling me out? Absolutely. But I realize he is doing it because he cares and because he sees something in me that is worth this hard conversation. Is it uncomfortable? Yes. But instead of getting mad or offended, I can decide to submit to James's leadership and to invite him to continue. Instead of of looking at James and pointing my finger and saying, how dare you, James, call me out? Instead, I can look at James and say, okay, I understand and I get it. I needed to hear this truth. So now what's next? Okay, now as we open up this section of the letter, yeah, I say is that this passage, this section, James 3.13 to 4.10, is the heart of the letter. Okay, this is where James gets even more clear and more blunt than he, than he has been up to this point. Okay, and this is the point where we have a choice to make. Right, we are either going to respond to his leadership and submit to the things he's saying, right, or we are going to be mad and offended and say, I don't want to hear anything else, and I'm going to walk away. And I'm going to stay wherever I'm at. So this morning, as we jump into this section Right, is I challenge you that even if you are already offended and, and feel a little bit like you've been beat up by James already, okay, is at least give it a shot today 
right? Because if you're not offended yet, you probably will be after this section. So are we ready to dive in? James chapter 3. Okay, we are starting with verses 13 through 18. James 3, 13. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. You know, as we read this, this section, again, as, as James just takes us to the, to the deepest level of what he's challenging us with, Okay, and again, what is he challenging us with in, this, in these opening verses of this section? Well, James is challenging us to be honest with ourselves. Again, at this point, right, we've, we've come far enough in the meeting, far enough in the letter, right, to realize that there, there are things that James has seen in us, right, that aren't right. He's already addressed some pretty pretty wide open places in our life. And again, just like last week, as he addresses our words, right, and the power of words. And yet here, again, he just challenges us. He says, look at the evidence of your life and be honest with yourself. Right, look at the evidence of your life and admit where you really are in your faith. Okay, to put it another way, James is sitting down and looking at us at us and saying, if you were on trial for being a Christian, is there enough evidence in your life to convict you? If you were on trial for being a Christian, is there enough evidence in your life to convict you? And he's asking us to say, step back and take an honest look. Right? Would, would the jury be convinced? Would you be found guilty? for being a follower of Jesus? Or would you not? Just be honest with yourself. Hey, in verse 13, he, he tells us, he says, if you're truly living out God's wisdom, right, then you will be living an honorable life and doing good works in a humble way. Okay, and that will be the core of the evidence if you are truly living out God's word. And then in verse 14, he says, now if you're not truly living out God's word, then this is the evidence. There's going to be jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart. And if that is present in your heart, right, you, you cover it up because you don't want to admit it, so you cover it up with boasting and with lying. And that's going to be the evidence that's going to be against you of not living a life for Jesus. He said, be honest with yourself. Just look at the evidence of your life. 
Right? Then in verses 15 and 16, James gives us a deeper description of the results of a life that is not living for God. And then, right following up in the two verses that follow there, in verses 17 and 18, he gives us a deeper description of what the results of a, of a life will be if you truly are living for God. Right? He says, just be honest with yourself and let the evidence speak for itself. If you were on trial for being a Christian, would you be convicted? What does the evidence say? Again, this is a very broad view. Right? He's, he's, paint, he's painting with a pretty big brush at this point. Right? Nothing, nothing too personal. Just a challenge to say, admit where you actually are. Because until you admit where you actually are, you cannot make any progress forward. Right, one of the biggest steps of, of, of finding your way if you're lost is admitting that you're lost. Right, and he sits down and says, just, just admit it. Be honest with yourself where you really are in your faith. Again, he's never, that hasn't been very personal yet. And then we move into the next set of verses. Verses, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, where James gets incredibly personal. James 4, starting at verse 1. says, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, and so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? And I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. What do you think the scriptures mean when they say that the Spirit God has placed within us is filled with envy, but he gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires. And as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but favors the humble. So again, as we see, as we move into to this next section, James, James kind of softens us or butters us up, right, with this first section with some very general observations, and then he moves into these first six verses of chapter four, and he gets incredibly personal. Right, when he says, uh, um, again, and what, what kind of stands out to me in this section as he, he starts out in verse one, right, is that James leaves no room for wiggling out of this. Right, he knows that there is jealousy and selfish ambition in our hearts. He leaves no room for, for an if. Yeah, look back at verse 1. He says, what is, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? There is no wiggle room in that. There is no if in that verse. It's not if there are quarrels and fights among you. Right? He says there are. Right? And he's saying because there are, what's causing them? Why are they present? Why is this an issue in your life? Because it is an issue, right? He's sitting back. He's like, I know it is. So what, what's causing these fights and quarrels? 
Again, he says that they come from the evil desires that are at war within you. He says this, there, there's, there's this war that's happening in you. Right now, these evil desires that are within us, what is he describing here? He's describing our sinful nature. We are all born with a sinful nature. Right? And that sin from that sinful nature is what keeps us separated from God, which is why we need salvation. Right now, again, who's the audience of the letter? He's saying you've received that salvation, but yet this sinful nature is still at war within you. And that is what's causing these, these, these fights and these quarrels and, and what's holding you back in your faith. Again, there's no if. It's just like, no, it's there. Right, and these are at war. Now, again, what are these evil desires? He goes in in verses 2 and 3, and he literally lists them out. Right, what these different evil desires are that are warring within us. Okay, the first thing that he lists out, this first evil that he describes in the beginning of verse 2 is lust. Okay, he uses the phrase, he says, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. Okay, that is the definition of lust. Now again, we hear that word lust and we, we associate it with sexual lust. And certainly lust can be sexual, but it's, it's not just sexual. Right, if, if you, again, if you want anything that you don't have, it's so much that you're willing to do anything to get it, that is the definition of lust. Right, and he says that's the first evil that's at war within you. And then he, he continues on in verse 2, right, to the next phrase, right, as he describes the next evil, and the next evil is jealousy. Right, this one, he doesn't redefine it for us. He literally just calls it out. He says, you are jealous of what others have. And again, he, he tells us, he's like, that comparison is a major problem for you. Right? Whenever you compare yourself to anybody else, you always lose. Right? Anytime you compare, you lose. And because you lose, it makes you jealous for what they have that you don't. And he calls out. He says, not only do you lust for what you don't have, but you're also jealous of those that, of what other people have. And then he continues on, right, as he, as he describes the next evil that is at war within us, and that is malice. Now again, malice is a word that we don't use quite as much as lust and jealousy. Okay, the definition of malice is the desire to cause pain, injury, or distress to another person. Okay, the desire to cause pain, injury, or distress to another person. Right, again, James describes malice in verse 2 as he says, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Again, malice is that attitude of saying, like, again, I wish I had it, and since I don't have it, I don't want you to have it either, so I'm going to do whatever I can do to get it out of your life, too, because I don't have it in my life, so you shouldn't have it in yours. That is malice. Lust, jealousy, malice, and we're only partway through the verse. Right, and then the, the, the last part of verse 2, right, he calls out our pride. When he says, again, you don't ask God. Again, why do we not ask God? Well, we don't ask God because of our pride. 
right? Because it's our pride that says, God, I don't need you. I'll do it myself. So there's no reason to ask because I can do it myself. And that is incredibly full of pride. Lust, jealousy, malice, and pride. And then we move into verse 3 as if we haven't already have enough evil desires at war within us, right? As he describes in verse 3, the last one, which is selfishness. As he says, you want only what will give you pleasure. And we look at this list of evil desires that are at war within us. And again, this is a detailed description of our sinful nature. Right? And all the things that can become between us and our God. Right? As we look at this list, Right, look at this list. This list describes the way that our world works. That is the way of the world. Right, and as James describes the world's way, right, it describes that, again, that our lives are being honest with ourselves and says, look at your life because the evidence of your life shows the way of the world. And then, as if he hasn't beaten us up enough, we've already gotten the one-two punch from James, right? And this is where the point of meeting where we're thinking, man, I think I should have walked out. Okay, and then he moves into verse 4, and he calls us names. You adulterers. He calls us an adulterer. He says, you adulterer, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Now, it's felt up to this point in the letter, it's felt like that James has drawn pretty firm lines. But compared to the line he draws in verse 4, we've only just begun until we get here. Because this is the clearest, firmest, thickest line in the sand that James has ever drawn. And that's why this is the core of the letter. Right? He says, God, there is no gray area. Right? You are either a friend of God or you are a friend of the world. And they cannot coexist. They are opposite sides of the same coin. It is either one or the other. And he calls us an adulterer. Again, why does he call us an adulterer? Right, you think about, again, adultery, right? We, we know kind of the definition of adultery. Right, again, it's, it's going, it's tied to a marriage relationship. Right? And in fact, this, the marriage relationship is used all throughout Scripture to describe what our connection to God is supposed to be. Right? Think about our earthly marriages. Right? Your spouse, that, that is the, the, the human on this planet. You have the most intimate relationship out of any other human on the planet is your spouse. Right? And as, he's, as he describes this, right, he says, that is the, the, again, you're supposed to have the deeper, more intimate relationship with God than anything else. Right? And yet, we're adulterers. Again, think about our earthly marriages. Again, we make a public commitment 
to be devoted to our spouse. And yet, if we choose to go anywhere else other than our spouse to find what our spouse is supposed to provide for us, then it is the act of adultery. Right? We make a public commitment to our spouse, and then if we go elsewhere for what our spouse is supposed to, to give us in our life, is supposed to be for us, that is the act of adultery. Right? Whether that's physical, whether that's emotional, or spiritual. Right? Because that's exactly the point James is making, is that you are supposed to be married to Christ in the spiritual world. And yet, if you go to the world to find any of these things that you're supposed to find in Christ, then you are an adulterer. Right? And it's exactly what he's telling us that we are doing. That is exactly the line he is drawing. And he's saying, there is no gray area. You are either going to Christ for everything that he's supposed to provide for you as your Lord and your Savior, or you're not. Again, remember the intended audience of this letter. It is Christians. It is people who are committed publicly to followers of Jesus. Right? Those that have made that commitment to God. And he's telling us, you cannot have it both ways. You cannot sit on the fence. You cannot be a friend of the world and claim to be a friend of God. You are either committed to God or you're not. And admit which one it is in your life. Because if you don't, you're an adulterer. Again, as we look at, at this, I mean, God, James presents us, right, with the world's way. We see in verses 2 through 3, Right? He says, if, you're go if any of these are true in your life, then you're an adulterer. But I'm very, very thankful that the letter does not end there. Because it doesn't. I mean, James continues on. Because he moves on then into verses 5 through 6, where he then presents us the other side of the coin. He gives us God's way. Hey, we see the world's way, the evil desires of war within us, our sinful nature. And then he says, instead, go here. This is God's way. Right? Verse 5. The first thing he describes at the beginning of verse 5 is that God pursues us. Okay, again, he says God is passionate. Okay, he's passionate about you. He pursues you. Okay, then the next part or aspect of God's way is that God is with us. Again, he's not a distant God. He's not a God that, that we can't have actively a part of our life. He is with us. Again, he tells us in verse 5, he says that the spirit he's placed within you, right? As a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in your heart. You are the temple as a believer. And then he tells us, the next part in verse 5, when he uses the phrase that, that we should be faithful to him, right? He's describing that God is in relationship with us. You know, this is an ongoing, active relationship. It's it's. God loves us and we love him back, right? That we should be faithful to him. The more that we're loved by God, the deeper we love him back, right? And this is what sets Christianity apart from every other world religion is it's not a religion at all. It's about a relationship with our creator. 
right? And then not just relationship, right? But also in that relationship that God is patient with us as we transform. And he uses the phrase, he says that God gives grace generously. Because the truth is, we all make mistakes. He's already established that earlier in the letter. We all make mistakes. It feels like so many times in in our faith journey, we take two steps forward and one step back. Our journey is rocky, and it is full of hurdles, and it's full of of challenges and questions, and yet God is patient with us as we transform. God loves us exactly the way we are, but he loves us enough to not leave us there or to abandon us when we struggle. That he's patient with us as we transform. And then in the last part of verse 6, Right? He says that as we work through this process with God, then, then God becomes our focus. Again, as he says in verse 6, he says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Right? Notice that he's actually literally quoting an Old Testament passage. Right? He's saying that that is the point. That's what this process is supposed to take us to, is to put our focus on, back on God. And as we look at this this process, this is exactly the process we go through when we find salvation for the first time. When we realize that God's pursuing us, that then we receive him and he's with us and we start this relationship and we start to transform and he becomes our focus. But this is a process that is supposed to continue in our lives as we continue to grow in our faith. That we go over and over again through this process with everything that God pursues us about in our life because we'll get to a point in our journey when when God's like, okay, you're ready to deal with this, and he starts to pursue us on a certain issue or a certain act or a certain sin, right? And then we work through this same process with that hurdle in our journey. And as we, as we see this, again, this is God's way. He is literally describing our spiritual journey, not just when we first accept Christ as our Savior, but this process continues with every phase of our growth and with every sin issue that we face. And now as he establishes again this incredibly personal observation in our lives, then he moves into action in verses 7 through 10. This is the now what part of this incredibly uncomfortable face-to-face conversation. Now what? Is our call to action, picking up at verse 7, James 4 verse 7. It says, so Humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Again, this call to action is, is, a, is a, a drink of cold water in the middle of the desert. Right? As he's been beating us up for all of these verses, now this is where he says, now this is the good news. Right? This, this is the payoff at the end of the struggle. Because he gives us, literally lines out these steps for us to move forward in our journey. Okay, he, he gives us step by step, what do we do, right, to move forward? After we admit where we are, how do we move forward? Step one is humble yourself before the Lord. 
Humble yourself. Again, this is about confession. This is about admitting to God and to yourself the truth about where you are and what you have done. About what you're holding on to and what you're afraid to give up and what is holding back your faith journey. This is about being honest with yourself and confessing it to God. And then step two is to resist the devil. Again, the word that's used in this, in this verse for devil is not a name. It is not, it is, it's not a single, again, it's not talking about Lucifer. What the, the term that is used here, the word is, is a general term for a false accuser. Okay, and, and the, the broadest context of this word that's translated as devil just means evil. He's telling us to resist the evil. Look at, the, look at all of those evil desires that are worth in you, and you, you resist them. You push them away. You run away from them as fast as you can run. Right? Resist them. Now, again, notice there's a promise in here. He says, if you resist the devil, it will flee from you. But notice there's not a timeline attached to that promise. It will flee but it might not flee right away. You're going to have to fight to get those things out of your life. So fight. Resist. It will flee. And as you resist and as, as you get those things out of your life, then we move to the next step, which is to come close to God. Right? Those things get out of your life. Replace it with God. Come close to him. And notice there's also a promise in this step. Right? Because the promise is come close to God and God will come close to you. Right? And you'll start to feel his presence in a way you've never felt it before. Again, you start moving in a new direction. You actually start moving in your faith towards Christ instead of camping out and thinking I'm okay. You make progress and you grow. And then we get to the practical steps in step four when he tells us to wash your hands. Okay, this is about changing your actions, right? Wash your hands, change your actions, and not just change your actions, but also purify your heart, change your motives. Not just your outward actions, but also why I'm doing them or why I'm not doing them. We wash our hands, and then we purify our hearts. And then we move to step six, right, which is to grieve the consequences of your sin, right? Realizing all of those consequences and saying it, it, it has caused all kinds of destruction in my life and, and I'm going to grieve that. Right? I'm going to grieve it to the point in my life where I finally draw that line in the sand and I look at that and it, it, it rips my heart out about everything that my sin has caused that I finally look at that and, and say and resolve, I am never going down that path again because now I see the damage it actually causes. Right, and when we look at steps four, five, and six, okay, this is the act of repentance. We start with confession, and then we move to repentance. And then we find ourselves at the last step, step seven, which is that we let God lift us up. Again, we, don't, we don't lift ourselves. It's not on my power, it's on God's power. Right? He lifts me up. He pulls me out of the pit. He moves me in a new direction. Again, James gives us these practical steps. 
But I'll tell you, James did not make these up. These are not new to James. Okay, this is not James's idea. Okay, so again, if you don't like what James says today, don't get mad at me. Okay, James said it. Okay, if, if you don't like what James said, don't even get mad at James because this is not new to James. Okay, what James is doing is reiterating the words of Jesus. Okay, in Matthew 16, 24. He says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Right? Jesus describes three steps. James expands them into seven because we just don't get it if there's only three. Right? And he's just teaching what Jesus taught them. Give up your own way. Take up your cross, die to yourself, and then follow me. Go in a new direction. Right? And as we realize that, I right, see that, again, James does the same thing that Paul also does. Okay? In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, again, this is Paul's teaching of Jesus' words, right? He says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Again, as we see this morning, right, that James calls us out, and he calls us out hard. But yet, he does it because he hopes that we will get rid of whatever is holding us back in our faith. That we will live up to the bar that, that has been set. Right? And say, look to God for what you're supposed to have, not the world. Right? And admit to yourself where you really are. And get rid of whatever's holding you back. Now today, as we conclude our service, we're going to conclude it a little differently than we normally do, but still exactly the same. And you're still going to respond, or we're still going to come up, we're still going to sing a song, but at that time, though, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to respond a little differently today. Right? Is in, your, in this, the chairs are some little slips of paper. Okay, I, I, I want you to grab one of those pieces of paper. And, and as we look at this, again, I don't know where you are in your faith journey. I don't know what God's convicted your heart of. I don't know what you've got to strip off. I don't know what you need to, to get rid of in your life in order to move forward in your faith. But I think you probably do for you. And whatever that is, I just encourage you to write it on this piece of paper. Okay, and and if, if you don't want to write it and you think, I don't know how to do that, you can literally just put an X on your piece of paper because God knows. Okay, and, put it on this piece, and then we're going to take this piece of paper and we're going we're to leave it at the foot of the cross. Right, we're going to do exactly what Jesus tells us, to take up our own cross. We're going to die to ourselves, die to whatever it is, give it to him. Let him take it. Okay, so you can take this paper. Okay, again, you can fold it up. Okay, and I want, I want you to come forward. Again, there's a basket at the bottom of the cross. You can put it at the cross. You can put it up on the cross. Okay, and just take whatever's holding you back in your faith, and I want you to give it to Christ today. So that strip it off. Be set free. Right, and commit to say, I'm never going back there again. All right, and that leads to a final thought here this morning, and that is this, that James leaves no room for excuses or ways to stay on the fence. 
We must choose God's way or the way of the world. What do you need to get rid of in your life to fully embrace God's way? Lord God, we are thirsty for your spirit. God, we want, Lord, to have you continue to transform us, Lord, and to to set us free, God, to, to move in a new direction in our life and in our faith, God, to see you reign in our hearts and our lives. And God, this morning as we presented these things to you, I, I pray, God, that help us to fight the temptation to take them back off of that cross. God, to take them back and Lord, truly set us free and Lord, help us to leave them here today. And God, that as we leave here and as we go into, into our life this week, God, that we would, we would experience you in a way God, that we haven't before because we left it here. And God, I pray, Lord, that as we live our life this week, God, that people would see you in us because we're different. Because we've decided that we're never going back there. God, continue to transform us, to unleash your power. Lord, and to change not just us and our hearts, God, but to change this world through us and through our life and our faith. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for taking this from us this morning. God, help us to move in this new direction and to share your love with this world that so desperately needs you. Guide us as we go, Lord, this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.